0: morning church ready to get into god's word all right well um good to have it in your hands right have god's word in your hands and whether that's like an analog version like this one or a digital version on your phone or ipad there's some great apps available uh, that you can uh, have to follow the word of god uh, there and if you don't have a bible it's important for us to have it in our hands and be looking at it see what we're studying together if you need a copy of god's word just out in the West Lobby, you're going to see some tables over near your connections. There's some uh, hardcover ESV Bibles there. You can uh, pick up one of those and just take it. Just, it's a gift from us. And um, Resource Center also has some free Bibles, but if you want a nicer edition of the Word of God, the Resource uh, Center can set you up there, too, if you'd like to purchase one. And uh, for anybody who's new here, um, uh, the uh, English Standard Version is a version that I teach from, and so just keep that in mind as you're picking an app or looking at a version and, and what you want to get there. All right. Little uh, commercial aside, uh, good to go? Mm, okay, good to go? Yeah. All right, like I know, I know you all come here to be encouraged, you know, oh, I, I love going to church and being encouraged, but I need to tell you right off the bat, we are all failures. I'm including myself in that, it's okay, we're all failures, uh, we carry around on us on our shoulders and that's what we're talking about in this series the weight of the world and how to get out from under it but we carry around the weight of past and present disappointments and personal disasters that happened in our lives and uh, we're gonna look at how to manage that but I need to tell you and have you listening right now uh, listen I need to tell you what this message is not okay this message is not a a self-help lesson on failure this message is not about advancing your career or being a successful athlete or, or how to be a better mom. This is not a TED Talk on turning failure into success. Uh, this is not overcoming failure with the power of positivity. I am not Tony Robbins and I am definitely not Joel Osteen. Okay? Like I, that's what it's not. That's what this message is not. But what this message is, is I need God's perspective on failure I need God's perspective on failure and how failure is not going to stop me from fulfilling what God has for me to fulfill. That's what this message is. We need to get God's perspective on all of this. What we need really is a, and this is what we so often go after when, when we failed at something, we go after horizontal solutions. And that's what the self-help guys would tell you. What we need is a vertical solution. We need God's perspective on this. We want to please God and glorify God in all things, including including in our failures. And so we're going to get there by looking at one of the Bible's top failures. Aren't you glad the Bible has an example of every possible way we can screw up? And so uh, we have the example today of uh, the Apostle uh, Peter. And uh, he didn't let his failures keep him from fulfilling God's purpose for his life. Uh, Peter really tripped over himself so many times. And Jesus just kept lovingly redeeming him. And by that I mean redeeming, just like redeeming a coupon, cashing in those failures to turn that into a strength in his life. That God would grow him into the man that God wanted Peter to be. And we're going to take all the lessons we can off of Peter and see that apply into our own lives. Whatever failures you've brought here today, whatever weight you're carrying into this room, God can redeem it all and turn it into something awesome in your life where you can find joy in fulfilling the purpose He has for you. And so that's what we're going to go after. Um, I hope you believe that. I hope you can say this. This is what we're going to go after in this message. In the face of my failures, God redeems me. You want to say that with me? In the face of my failures, God redeems me. All right, we're going to be cruising through a ton of scripture in this. There's so much material about Peter that we want to get through, and so let's pray together, and then we'll start working through these uh, various passages today. Uh, Father, I know, um, I know that none of us want to be failures. And God, that, that your word says that you lead us in triumphal procession. That you raise us up and you seat us with yourself in the heavenly realms. God, that doesn't sound like failure, but but victory and triumph and an awesome way to live. And so God, because we know that's your heart, I pray that um, you would help us today to believe that. That you would open our minds to understand your word, that our hearts would be open to believing, that our wills would be prepared to obey, to listen to you, and to do what we need to do. To bring glory to your great name. And to have the joy that you want for us. So Father, these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. In the face of my failures, God redeems me. Let's start with this one. I won't let failure keep me from my God-given purpose. Now again, I already said it. The thing with Peter is that he provided us with so much material to work with. And uh, we want to look at um, I, don't, I don't know if this is all of his failures, but let's look at uh, the, the majority of Peter's failures as they're recorded in the Scripture. And we have the advantage, I did a little research on this, to find all of Peter's failures. And I thought the best place to go would be to his Twitter account. And so I bet you didn't even know that Peter tweeted. He did. So Peter had, all the way back then, Peter had a Twitter account. And he tweeted some things that I thought were really interesting and really point out Uh, some of the failures in his life. Uh, Here's the first one, Simon Peter, at the Apostle Peter. That's his uh, Twitter name. I walked on water today with Jesus, Uh, then I didn't. Wind and waves freaked me out. Hashtag got wet. Hashtag almost drowned. Hashtag Matthew 14, 27 to 33. Oh, here's another one. I told Jesus he's the Christ today. Uh, Then rebuked him for saying he was going to have to die. Uh, he called me Satan. Hashtag, that's bad, right? <laughs> hashtag fail. Hashtag Mark 8, uh, 27 to 33. Um, here's the third one. Um, up on the mountain, got to see Jesus, Moses, Elijah in, in their glory. Suggested we built some shrines there. Uh, Jesus rolled his eyes and ignored me. Hashtag missed the point. Hashtag fail. Hashtag Mark 9, 2 to 8. Um. Here's another one. Jesus tried to wash my feet tonight, told him he couldn't. He said, if he doesn't, I'm out. (laughs) Told him to wash all of me then. Uh, He rolled his eyes again. (laughs) Hashtag fail. Hashtag John 13, 1 to 11. I went with Jesus to pray in the garden. Uh, We all kept falling asleep. Uh, They've come for him. Hashtag so sleepy. Hashtag fail. Hashtag Mark 14, 32 to 42. Um, the religious leaders came to arrest Jesus. I sliced off Malchus's ear. Uh, Jesus healed him. Hashtag stick to fishing. <laughs> hashtag what was I thinking? Hashtag fail. Hashtag John 1810 uh, to 11. And um, a couple more here. Um, while the trial was happening, I denied knowing Jesus three times just like he said I would. Uh, hashtag so sorry. Hashtag I told him I would die with him. Hashtag fail. Hashtag Mark 14, 66-72. And then this one comes after uh, the resurrection and the ascension. Um, Peter tweets, uh, Paul's up in my grill about misunderstanding the gospel. Says I've given in to legalistic teachers. Went back on my word. Hashtag he's right. Hashtag fail. Hashtag Galatians 2, 11-14. Uh, well... I mean, you get it, right? From Peter's own tweets. You get it. How often he failed. But he kept coming back. He, he kept trying again. Because he was saved by Jesus and he knew that. He was called to be a disciple of Jesus, to, to follow Him. He was called to be an apostle of Jesus, a special representative of the Lord to help plant the initial church in this world, and to fulfill the mission God had given to him, his failures did not keep him from his God given purpose. And Peter's overzealousness and his impetuous nature got him in so much trouble. And you think about all the failures, and they're easy to see in Peter's life. And Some of us are sitting here going, You know what? I can think more often of my failures than of my successes. But think about Peter's boldness and how it also served him well. I mean, after all, he did actually get out of the boat and walk on water for a little bit. He did actually, when Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And who do you think I am? He actually said the first one to do so, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. He got that part right. The first to admit it. He did preach a pretty incredible sermon at Pentecost. 3,000 people came to treat Jesus and were baptized. He, he, he walked into the temple one day, and he had never done this before, and a man was there, and he was lame. Peter said, I don't have any money to give you, but you know what? In Jesus' name, stand up and walk, and He did. And then they arrested him and they took him off and you'd think he'd shrink back, but his boldness helped him and he stood in front of those religious leaders and said, I have to obey God rather than man. You can look at all the failures, all caused really by the same root issue in Peter's life, just so bold and so impetuous and so just ready to jump into anything. yet the very same thing drove him to be incredibly successful in so many ways his failures in other words did not keep him from his god-given purpose and i don't know what it is for you i don't know what's causing the failures in your own life again we all have them is it impetuous decisions i don't really think things through is it bad theology i don't believe the right things peter had that is it poor relational skills Is it assumptions? Is it self-interest? Is it overzealousness? Peter overcame all of those things. We can overcome whatever it is in our lives that might be causing the failures. Failures should not keep you from your God-given purpose because God redeems every one of them. And, And isn't it true? It's just kind of like a common saying and understanding that we have, that we actually learn more from our failures than from our successes. Is that not true? Have you not found that to be true? I mean, just like nod or something. You know, the the phrase, out of weakness emerges strength. And again, I think we see that demonstrated in in Peter's life in real time. All right, how about this next? I'm going to fix whatever's wrong whenever I can. I'm going to fix whatever's wrong whenever I can. And, and the first thing that comes to mind in terms of what needs fixing. Now listen, not every fail in our life is sin. It's not. Not every fail is rooted in sin. Not every fail results in sin, but some certainly do. I don't want to really talk about that because if there's any failure that absolutely needs to be fixed right away. It's it's anything that causes a severing in the relationship between me and God. Would you agree? That's like the number one most important failure that needs to be fixed. If something's not right between me and God, I need to fix that. I need to get that right. I need to, this is the word, I need to repent. I need to turn from that, agree with God about it, and and go in the other direction and, and be restored by him. And that's what we see again in Peter's life, two of the most important events, I think you would agree with me in Peter's life, were number one, one of the things that everybody thinks about when they think about Peter are the three denials. We think about that. And then later on at the end of John's gospel, we'll look at it in a few minutes, is the restoration. And in that you see, this is the way I'm going to get my failures fixed. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn for him. I, I, I'm going to admit what I've done wrong, and I'm going to do it better. I'm going to align myself with the Lord. And, and the denial of Jesus obviously is a pretty huge thing. Um, recall um, how this all took place just prior to Jesus being arrested. He he actually said to Peter, "You know, I, I know that you're super bold about um, following me and." Uh, and 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 peter said you know what i'm i'm ready to die with you that's what peter said i'm ready to die with you and then jesus said in fact not only are you not ready to die with me you're you're going to deny me three times tonight before tomorrow morning is what he said so then jesus was arrested the disciples were all there and jesus was arrested and he was taken off in fact, to the home of the high priest. And the way this was all set up, there was like a courtyard there and the proceedings were taking place under cloak of darkness. And Peter was able to go and just be in the courtyard and listen, watch the proceedings as they were taking place as the religious leaders were putting Jesus on trial. And, and so Peter's listening to the whole thing and someone comes over to him and says, you know what? You're a Galilean, aren't you? You're, you're like, you're with Jesus. And he says, no, I'm not. And and then another person comes up and says, I saw you with him. And he says, no, you didn't. You're one of his followers, aren't you? And he said, no, I'm not. And the the scriptures tell us exactly what happened next. This is in Mark 14, 72. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time, which was part of the prophecy Jesus had said. Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice. You will deny me three times. And then look what it says here. In this Mark 14, and he broke down and he wept. That's that's remorse. That's that's one step. Remorse, by the way, is one step in the process of fixing things, of of true repentance. It's not enough on its own. You can't just be sorry. That's why you know we always taught our kids you, you can never just say, I'm sorry, because remorse is never enough remorse is just saying like I regret that it happened but you're not yet taking personal responsibility when you're sad about it especially if there are consequences attached to it because then you could just be sad about the consequences but not the thing that happened all right so don't teach your kids teach your kids to say more than I'm sorry and I'll show you what you actually need to show them but I mean (laughs) this this for us Okay, I need to hear this Because we're working towards all of the steps in true repentance and making things right. Peter had failed in a pretty major way. And what was going to turn that around? What's the fix for it? First of all, this, you can write these down. I'm going to give you four of these. First of all is understanding that I did wrong. Okay, in my own mind, I need to see that I did something wrong. And there's no doubt when you look at this, Peter knew that he had done wrong. He understood what Jesus had said. He understood that he denied Jesus three times. There was no hiding the fact that he had actually denied him. So that's the first thing. I understand I did wrong. And then secondly, write this down. I grieve what I've done. And again, you see Peter doing that. He wept. He broke down. And he wept. Now again, that gets us part of the way there. We'll come back to three and four in just a few moments. But I want you to look now, turn over to John 21, 15 to 19. And this is where we see this. John 21, uh, 15 to 19. Now, this is post-resurrection. Jesus has given his life on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He was resurrected to new life. And before he ascended to the Father, there was a period of time between the resurrection and the ascension where he was with his followers, made several appearances, taught them some things, gave them the mission uh, that they were going to have in the world, and... This is so important. He restored Peter during this time, and helped him get over his failure. So this is this is the restoration, and um, so he, Jesus was with them on the Sea of Galilee the night before they had been uh, fishing. They hadn't caught anything. Jesus from the shore said to them, "Hey, throw your nets over the other side of the boat. That shouldn't work, by the way. And throw your nets over the other side of the boat. They catch all these fish. They bring them in. They sit down. They've had breakfast. Now they're just sitting around, you know, sipping their coffee on the shore." after breakfast um, verse 15 when they had finished breakfast jesus said to simon peter simon son of john do you love me more than these and he said to him peter said to jesus yes lord you know that i love you and three times he goes through this cycle of asking him a very similar question do you love me more than these more than anything else in other words Three times, you think there's uh, some coincidence between the three times he says this and the three times he denied him? I mean, he's matching it up, right? He's restoring him. He's taking him through the process. So he asked him three times, and at the end of the three times, he says each time, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He's, he's giving him his mission. And he's saying, in essence, you can put all of that behind you. That failure is over. I'm never bringing that up against you again. And you need to now move on and do the thing that I've charged you with doing feed my lambs feed my sheep plant churches tell people about me preach the gospel lead people into a relationship with me help them find the forgiveness of their sins that's your mission that's feeding the sheep fulfill your purpose and then he says to him now verse 18 truly truly I say to you when you were young you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted but when you're old you'll stretch out your hands okay And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go what's going on there well essentially he's saying to him you've kind of been in control of your life up until now but there's going to come a period of time in your life because of the gospel because of following me where you're not going to be in control of anything you're going to be in shackles, you're going to be in chains, and it's not going to end the way that you want it to. And you say, well, where do you get all of that? Well, in verse 19, John makes it clear to us in the gospel. Look at verse 19. It's in parenthesis here. This is the commentary. This he said to show by what kind of death was to glorify God. In other words, you're going to be a martyr for the sake of the gospel. You're going to give your life for this. And after saying this, he said to him, uh, two words, a uh, follow me. Now, this, I mean, this is hard, right? He's dealt with the elephant in the room, okay, or they're on the shore, so the elephant by the shore, okay, they're dealt with it, which is this, this severing of the relationship between Peter and Jesus, okay? We're, we're getting this all worked out, and you know how this is when you, when you have something against another person, and you're together again, and you just go, you know, until we work that out, until we actually talk about it, it's, it's just going to be a thing between us. Jesus works all that out, and then he takes him to this place where he understands his mission a little bit. And Peter now gets into this, okay, I have this reconciled relationship with Jesus. Now I've got to fulfill my purpose. And by the way, my life isn't going to be easy. Just because things are great with Jesus now, in fact, my life is going to be difficult, I'm actually going to have to give my life for this. Now, that's a, that's a big challenge. Jesus simply says to him, follow me. So, you see what we've seen so far in terms of this repentance. I understand I did wrong. I grieve what, I, what I've done. We're not all the way there yet but notice this next I confess it without excuse I have to actually say I was wrong not just believe I was wrong and be sorry about it but believe I was wrong be sorry about it and then actually say the words I was wrong for now that's so important but here's how we often quote-unquote apologize I'm sorry. I was wrong for doing that. But. Isn't it true that when we qualify something like that, we actually negate it? When we qualify an apology, we actually negate the apology. When we give an excuse, it takes away all the power of the apology. You just go, okay, you're not really apologizing. You're excusing it. Imagine Peter had done this. Okay, you're like, I know I denied you, Lord. I'm really sorry for that. But, you know, I was tired, and we tried to stay awake with you when you were, you know, praying, and we couldn't do that. We were just so tired and frustrated. And then there was that whole thing with the soldiers and them leading you away, and I was so distraught over the whole thing. I mean, after all, you remember that thing where I cut that guy's ear off? I mean, can't you see I was so frustrated? I'm sorry, but... The circumstances of my life at the time, the situation caused me, and I put these excuses in, and that's not it. It's always just this. Teach your kids this. Teach yourself this. I was wrong for. Period. No buts. No excuses. No rationales. No explanations. I was just wrong. And Peter gets that, because you don't see any qualifications here and then fourth i i put it behind me and i move on i need to focus on what's ahead and and you know we're our own worst enemy when it comes to failure we don't need other people telling us we're failures or reminding us of things that have gone on in our past we're the ones who bring it up against ourselves all the time and, and we hold ourselves back from doing more for the Lord because we think about all the times when we failed in the past I'm not going to try that. I'm not putting myself in that situation again. I'm not going down that road I'm not going to be vulnerable I'm playing it safe from now on And listen we compound our failures when we continue to remind ourselves of our failures It's actually a new failure when we continue to remind ourselves of these things. And so did you get those those four things? I understand I did wrong. I grieve what I did. I confess it without excuse and I put it behind me and move on. Now you can see that that is not four steps to a better you. It's not. This is you have a sin problem and you've reconciled yourself to God by confessing that. And personal fulfillment, joy, peace, all the things that we're trying to reach for that we want in this life. We want to get that weight off of our shoulders. All of that only comes not because you work, you know, people always say, I'm working on myself. I'm just going to work on myself. And it's not because you worked on yourself. It's because you worked on your relationship with God. It's actually because God worked on the relationship with you. In fact you find joy because jesus repaired your broken relationship and because you took advantage of what he did you received the grace that he offered to you you accepted his love and his grace the free gift of his salvation and peter got that all right see this next i'll know my place and i'll remain humble well, right after Jesus restores him, I feel like this message has been heavy up until now because it's, 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 it's not going to get easier. <laughs> so Jesus restores him and Peter's, well, Peter's got everything right with him. And, but he's a little shaken by what Jesus has said. You know, that his, his life is going to be really challenging. actually die for the sake of the gospel. And a- anybody who would ever have been told that would feel the same way. I mean, imagine if Jesus walked in here this morning and he you know, kind of just sat up here somewhere and did one-on-one interviews with all of you and told every single one of us, all of us who are believers, he brought us up and he just said, now this is, this is the way you're going to die. The way you're going to die is your life is going to be really challenging and you're not going to have control of it and actually for the sake of the gospel, you're actually going to be martyred for the faith and I wonder uh, you know, if you say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to take that and you go sit in your seat again or some would just exit stage left, you know. So peter's thinking about that right now what he's just been told and he's having a little bit of a a challenge with it so peter says to him and this is a bit of a fail too i mean it could have been one of the tweets john 21 verse 20 now look at peter turned and he saw the disciple whom jesus loved following them so now they've gotten up and they're walking and john's there john always refers to himself um, in this way the disciple whom jesus loved in his own gospel he doesn't refer to himself as john and so John's there, so Peter and and Jesus are walking together, and Peter's thinking about what his life's going to be like, and he turns to, looks towards John and says to Jesus, now, what about this guy? What about this guy? What's he really saying? What he's really saying is, I hope his life is just as hard as mine. Isn't he saying that? He's saying, in fact, what he's saying is, I hope John gets martyred too. I mean how awful. He's he's comparing himself now. Is he going to die too? Is it is it going to be difficult for him? And Jesus says this to him. You see this now? If if it's my will that he remain until I come. In other words, it, it, he's going to live, you know, if it's my will, because they're all you know, they knew Jesus was going to leave and then he was going to come back. And we're still waiting for that, of course. But they didn't have an idea that it was going to be so long. And so they thought his return was going to be kind of imminent. And, and Jesus is really saying to them, if, if it's my will that John stays until I come back and he lives a good long life. OK, that's what he's saying. If, 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 if I leave him until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, Peter, whatever I do with John is none of your business. If I choose something completely different for him, that's none of your business. You have to know your place. You need to remain humble in the face of what I'm allowing in your life. You can't be comparing your life to anyone else's. Well, I I, uh, love and hate this passage. You ever get that with the scripture sometime where you both love what it's saying to you and then you realize the implications for your life and you go, no, I actually hate this. I'm just saying like from my flesh versus my spirit. Do You guys have that battle too, the flesh and spirit thing, or is it just me? You got that going on? So you see my greatest ministry failure played out in front of a lot of you. I didn't get the advantage of failing in private or maybe where just a few people saw it. I, my, my, my failure got to play out in front of like a whole group of people, hundreds of people. It was a leadership uh, failure. And uh, we saw, you know, we, we uh, Charlotte came uh, here 16 years ago and we gathered together with a group of about 30 people, th- 38 people I think was the official number, and um you know, the church grew in the first five years. You, you know the story from 38, I always say this, from 38 to 738 in five years. And, and, and that was pretty heady growth. I mean, that was pretty, that was something, you know, and, and it was easy to kind of be prideful about that and think that in some way you deserve that and look at what we've done. And, and, um, and, and so all of that was in us. And then in the space of the next couple of years, we, we went from 738 to 538. We lost a couple of hundred people. And, um, and, you know, everything rises and falls on leadership, so I take responsibility for that. And there was a time back in uh, 2011 where all of our elders stood up at the front of the uh, worship center and, and, and confessed 16 confessions and took responsibility for what happened. But the thing that was really hard for me is as we were the first harvest uh, church plant in Canada and as we were failing, as we were failing and falling back and losing people and, and it was so hard, all these other church plants around us that had started since were surging and we're getting buildings and we're growing and we're having influence and planting other churches. Other pastors were succeeding and and without really realizing John 21 was in the Bible, I was doing the Peter thing. I'm walking with Jesus going, what about this guy? Why is it so hard for me? And this guy's succeeding and and his church is growing. Why is he getting a pass? And then one day, just in my regular reading, I read John 21. If it's my will that another pastor has a bigger church or a stronger ministry or greater influence, what is that to you, Todd? You follow me. You have to know your place. You have to accept what God has for you. Now, forget my pastoral ministry leadership failure and the lessons learned from that. How about we just talk about how we compare our lives to the people around us? Then we talk about marriages, how we compare our marriages. And we look at, at, at other marriages where it's, it just seems so easy, where the husband and wife just seem to love each other and they're always for each other and everything is just so awesome in the midst of that relationship. We look at our own marriage or, or maybe your marriage has already failed. Why didn't I get that? What about this marriage, Lord? Why is it so easy for them? Why does it appear to be so easy for them? Why does it appear that you've blessed them so much and my marriage failed? Or you're in a marriage that, you know, I mean, you're still together, but it's miserable inside. And it really is a failure while you're still together. We, uh, we compare children. You know, some children are delightful. Some children, it was totally okay to laugh at that. Some children are delightful. Uh, Some are amazing. Some are high achievers. You know, you can tell the ones that are the high achievers, delightful, amazing children. Their pictures are on Facebook. Their parents put them there. Look how awesome my kid is, right? That's what Facebook is for. But some children are troublesome and, and difficult. And uh, some have learning disabilities and behavioral issues and some kids are sick. and, And it's easy as a parent just to look and just say, what about them, Lord? Why does it seem like their kids are so awesome and mine aren't? Marriages and children and houses and and cars and vacations and jobs and friends. We're just comparing way too often and Jesus says into all of it, if it's my will that I bless them in a different way, if their life seems easier than yours, what is that to you? You follow me in the marriage that you have. You follow me in the singleness that is God's will for your life. You follow me in the children I've given to you. You follow me in the house, in the car, in the job, in the whatever it is. You follow me in that. It takes humility to get there, doesn't it? And you get a sense, because Peter wrote a couple of the letters that we have in the Scripture, and you get a sense that both letters were written kind of toward the end of his life, and you get a sense that he was beginning to get this. And in fact, turn over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, the first of those letters. In 1 Peter chapter 5, the first part of it is instructions uh, to uh, to leaders and uh, to elders, to pastors, and he sums that part up saying that the number one thing that an elder or a pastor needs to have in terms of a character quality is humility. But then he says this, he kind of transitions it, and he says this halfway through verse 5 now, 1 Peter 5, verse 5, halfway through. Clothe yourselves, what's the word? All, clothe yourselves, how many people? All, all, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes but gives grace to the humble. And so every single one of us needs to be clothed with humility. Verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's God's desire for you. Then look at verse seven. Remember, we're in a series called The Weight of the World and how to get out from under it. Look what he says in verse seven. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Get that weight off your shoulders, all those worries, all those cares. Put them on Him. He cares for you, and He wants to carry that for you. Maybe you still have the weight on the world's on your shoulders because you've not yet gotten to the place where you're willing to humble yourself and accept some of the things that have happened in your life or some of the things that are happening right now. You're arguing with God about the fairness of it. You're pointing to others rather than getting past the failure and moving on. And God God wants to redeem that. He wants to cash that in for a whole new way of looking at life, the way of humility. Well, finally this. This. I will work on my character above all. Again, Peter writes, this time in 2 Peter, you can turn over there, probably just one page turn uh, in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1, that this is all about, he writes this, 2 Peter 1, 3, this is all about his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory um, to his own glory and excellence now that's that's the level of our reach excellence that 's the thing that we're trying to attain is excellence. now with such a lofty goal as I want excellence I want the holiness of God, I want his purity, I want to fulfill his perfect will. That's what we're stretching for. That's the, that's the reach goal that's in front of us. Now you can expect that if excellence is the goal, once in a while, once in a while we're not going to hit it. that makes sense? And so that's why we need a mechanism to deal with failure in our life, because when you reach for something like that, you might not hit it all the time. You're not going to, in fact. And again, we're talking about failure because we're still sinful people. We're still affected by temptation and give into it once in a while. And we live in this sin-tainted world. And so God wants us to manage our failures well while we reach for this excellence. Now understand this is what the point is about. It's not about performance. It's about character. Who we are, not what we do. You see, as this continues, verse four, so that okay, we're uh, reaching for the glory and the excellence so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. You want to have the character, the divine nature. You want to have the character of Jesus. You want to be like Jesus. And then he lists in verse, starting in verse five, all of these character traits. And you notice that he's saying you have this and supplement it with this and build on this. And you see this progression and over your life, you're just growing in all of this. You're not going to achieve it today. For this very reason, we make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. All of these eight qualities, not an exhaustive list, but all of these things need to be building in our lives over the course of our lives. And Peter's writing this from his own experience. This is what he experienced. And the outcome of that, verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, fewer and fewer failures as you go through life. We're getting that weight off our shoulders. Verse 10, if you practice these things, you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now here's what I need to ask. Are you growing closer to Jesus as a result of the failures that you faced? You see, you're, these are the areas where we more often fail if we could, if we could create categories for them. In the area of worth, am I, a, am I a worthy person? Do I have any value? And we struggle with our value. But your worth is not tied to your performance your worth is tied to jesus christ and his worthiness when jesus christ gave his life on the cross proving himself to be god and defeating death and defeating sin his perfect righteousness was imputed to us or put on to us. And so it's not a righteousness of my own, but it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ in me. And when I have the righteousness of Christ in me, therefore I am worthy because of him. I don't struggle with worthiness. I don't need to feel like a failure if, if I'm struggling with my value. We need to move past that. Or identity, it's not tied to what you've done in life but to what he's done. So many people just I don't even know who I am. Well, who you are in Christ is who you are. You're a son or daughter of the king of kings. You have an inheritance and in glory with him. All the promises of God are for you. Your identity is not tied to what you've done. Your purpose is not to succeed in the ways that we normally measure these things. We measure success down here on planet earth in terms of dollar signs and numbers and status and power and those are not god's way of measuring success not even close god measures success in terms of faithfulness and perseverance and 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 our increasing capacity to love him and to love others And so our purpose is to glorify God by becoming like him in these things. Our worth, our identity, our purpose, and then this matter of love. He doesn't love you for what you do or don't do. And so many people struggling to just feel that they're loved. And the great news here this morning is that God loves you not because of you. God loves you because of him. And he demonstrated that love toward us. And, and no one should leave here today feeling that they are not loved. So many people feel like failures because of this questioning of whether or not anybody loves me. Work on who you are. Work on your character more than on what you do. Work on, on being like Jesus Christ in every way. In the face of my failures, I understand that God redeems me. It could be argued that the greatest failure in history was the death of the hopes of Israel when their Messiah was crucified by the Romans at the hands of their own religious leaders. The cross on its face is a failure. Now, we know the rest of the story that a great victory came out of that, but the grief and the confusion that gripped the disciples in the moment was indescribable. And yet God took that failure and turned it into the very hope upon which we rest our lives. And Jesus has made it possible for us, this is incredible, but Jesus made it possible for us to remember that great failure on a regular basis and really commanded us to do this. And so we're going to take some time right now to remember the Lord At the lord's table with communion we're going to receive the elements together in a few moments and remember that great failure of jesus christ and how that failure was redeemed and turned into life for us and so would you pray with me right now the servers are going to come and prepare and we're going to receive the lord's table together father i do uh, thank you so much for your um, uh, love for us for the way that you have Um, cared for us the way that you have spoken to us and god we want to get this right today we want to understand that all of these failures in our lives can be redeemed by you and as we come to the table right now and we receive the body of christ and the blood of christ as it knits our hearts together around the salvation that you've given to us and our relationship with you God, I pray that we would remember that we would be grateful and that we would be so ready to turn our failures into something great as well, to receive the life that you have for us. And these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ.